Hello, listeners, and welcome to this special episode from the archives. This is a golden oldie full of great evergreen advice for writers. It's a rerun, basically. Whilst we work on something very, very special. Or very, very special indeed. We were so young and naive, weren't we, Mark? Oh, we were, but our guests, our guests were brimming with wisdom. So enjoy! And we'll be back next week with a brand spanking new episode of The Bestseller Experiment. To read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of The Bestseller Experiment by the two Marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the bestseller experiment where we discover what makes a best-selling novel whilst trying to write, publish and market one in just one year. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I'm Mark Stay. Thank you very much for joining us today and welcome to episode three, where we're going to look at the work ethic of the writer. That's right. So if you're joining us for the first time, let me quickly introduce my co-presenter, Mark Stay. He's a co-writer of Robot Overlords, which became a movie with Sir Ben Kingsley and Gillian Anderson. And uh, Mark, you've also worked with Orion Books, which is part of Hachette for the last 15 years. Is that right? That's right. I've been selling books in one form or another for about 20 years now. I started uh, doing Christmas at Waterstones and uh, never looked back. And, you know, my job is to try and convince you, <laughs> the, the official cynic of this podcast and pessimist, that this crazy idea can actually work, isn't it? It is indeed, yes. And uh, my friend is the insane optimist. Uh, Mr. Mark DeVoe is a dream coach, recording artist and wannabe author. His career in the music Music industry has landed you uh, a couple of best-selling albums, which I was grooving out to the other day. It's very good oh. work music. Yeah, very good. Uh, <laughs> and you've played Glastonbury, which I and I know that you casually toss into conversation every now and then. <laughs> and uh, you have a publishing deal with Warner, you know, so not too shabby, not too shabby. But I've also never finished a book, so yes. I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a slow reader primed. myself. <laughs> I'm talking about writing it. I'm talking about writing. I, I, I had this thing and I, I think, I think, you know, maybe out there you'll feel the same, but I, I get really inspired for ideas and I sit down and I get through the first two, three chapters and then the kind of characters get a bit bored and, and leave the page. Um, or maybe I just get too, too excited about other projects. I'm maybe one of these squirrel merchants who just kind of, was it shiny monkey minds, shiny new objects? That's me, I think. Well, you know, Mark, this episode is tailor-made for you and writers just like you because uh, we'll be talking about the work ethic. Now, in the first two episodes, we, we've spoken to industry experts, people who've worked in publishing for major publishers for considerable years, and we've, we've got some amazing insights from them. But uh, for episode three, we're finally talking to an author and an independent author as well. I mean, the odds are... Uh, our listeners and ourselves won't be picked up by a publisher. We're, we're much more likely to go down the independent publishing route by publishing on ebook. And we're going to be talking to someone today who's done that and has, has done a, a pretty good job of it, wouldn't you say? Well, yes, we, we did we did promise in, in episode one that we were going to bring in some multi-million selling authors, and that's what we've managed to do today. So I'm incredibly excited about this. But before we dive into the interview, I just want to tell you something, Mark, that you probably aren't aware of. Oh, dear. Um, our next... No, no, it's all good. It's all good. Our, ne our interview today is almost as crazy about Star Wars as you are. Well, there's, there's a lot of us about. There are a lot of us about. There's, this is why the films do so well. They've clearly tapped into some primal need to go into space and fight each other with laser swords. Um, but good. Oh, that's good. Well, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan anyway, so she's already gone into my top ten. So just <laughs> that's all it takes. So we're welcoming to the show today Shannon Mayer. Welcome, Shannon. Hey, thank you for having me. It's great to have you on the show. And... I first met Shannon about ooh, seven, eight months ago. Yeah, I think that's right. Shannon, Shannon lives in the same area of the world as I do on the west coast of Canada. And when I first met Shannon, something blew me away big time in that she'd spent most of her life up until becoming an author changing horseshoes, right? And that's you call correct. It farrier. I was a farrier. A farrier. And today Shannon is sitting here as a USA Times bestselling author She's published between 35 and 40 books. And I love the fact that it's somewhere around that amount because she's written so many now she can't remember the exact number. 
and um, <laughs> has recently signed a deal with Amazon Publishing, amongst other things. So, Shannon, um, tell us a bit about your story today, because obviously I think changing all those horseshoes has brought you some serious good luck. <laughs> well, I started out um, as a lot of girls just loving horses and uh, fell into horseshoeing, but I had always loved reading and always um had enjoyed writing, but had been told by, you know, very well-meaning people in my family and friends uh, that, you know, you didn't make money or a living uh, writing books. That was something you did as a hobby or something, you know, the only people who made money at it was, you know, Stephen King or Anne Rice, you know, the big names. And so I never took it um, seriously until I was a few years into my horseshoeing and my husband and I were discussing um, families and having children and, and how very difficult it would be to be nine months pregnant and trying to crawl underneath a horse and change horseshoes. So, um, you know, we discussed possible options in terms of another form of income. <clears throat> Being a typical family, we couldn't survive on, on a single income. So he really encouraged me. He said, you know, you've always loved writing, so why not try? Because he said the worst thing that's going to happen is you don't make any money at it, but the possibility is there that you could have, you know, a small source of income that would cover what you are already making. So um, that was a, a few years ago. I was 25, and I started then to write with the thought that I'm going to try and get something published and um, get my toes into that industry. So probably without his encouragement, I might not have ever taken that step. Um, so really I owe a huge uh, shout out to him for that because, you know, a lot of authors don't ever take that step because it's too fearful, it's too fearful to put yourself out there without someone that you really trust backing you. And then um, I spent a lot of time in the, traditional world trying to get agents. I've had a couple of agents and I've fired them both for various reasons. Um, <laughs> and um, I've had lots of interest recently from the traditional world, but it's because they've seen my success. And so um, I can be a little pickier now, but yeah, I spent a lot of time learning about the industry and learning about agents and publishing houses and editors in the process and writing pitches and queries and this sort of thing. And it was all a really great education. And um Long story short, it's been about three and a half years now that I've been writing full time, and uh, and it's been a really fantastic journey. Hard and definitely um, has its ups and downs, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Mm. I mean, I think one of the things I've, that amazes me about you, Shannon, is just the work ethic you've got. And I, I joke about horseshoes and good luck, but you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Absolutely, right? absolutely. And you know, I think. Shannon, can I just can I just sorry to interrupt? Mark. Can I just ask because um, you know you'd you'd done some writing as a child. You'd been put off by people who kind of felt it was you know another world, a world away. Only Stephen King makes money from it, that kind of thing. And then years later, encouraged by your husband, you decide to write. Had you done any writing in between? Was there something that made you think actually I can still do this, or, or was it the first time you sort of picked up a pen in anger in um, years? No, I'd spent. You know, my, my quiet time when I was, you know, um, had a little, you know, hour here or there to myself, I was always writing down ideas. So I would think, oh, you know, this is a great idea. And I would start and I'd have probably like a lot of authors and writers out there. I had probably 10 or 15 books that I'd started, you know, uh, uh, two or three chapters of each, right. um, just running off of um, kind of inspiration I had had in that moment. But I'd never gone forward with it and completed any of them. Um you know, I think the most I'd have done is maybe 30, 35, 40,000 words of a single book. And then I, another idea would sure. crop up. And because I didn't have a goal specifically to publish, an idea would crop up that caught my attention and I'd wander off to that. And I think it's a common issue with writers is that we have all these creative juices flowing that as we um, get into a story and a new idea crops up, then we wander off, like I say, and, and this, it's a good thing and a bad thing, right? Um, sure. I mean, it's, it's fascinating because you, d you said you didn't have a goal, but suddenly necessity right. comes along. You need to earn some money. You, you can't carry on with the farrier right. business. So I, you suddenly have to set. Well, I, I've done a couple of um, uh, boot camps and um, lessons with my local writers group, and I describe it as having a push and a pull. So um, with 
an author, if there's not um, a push away from something negative, and in my case, the negative was shoeing horses for the rest of my life, as much as I love the animals and my clients, is a, a crippling career. Like I've met farriers in their early 40s who have enormous back issues, um, blown out elbows, you know, crunched up knees and hips because of the damage of doing a very um, physically demanding job. So that was my push, you know, towards something else. And the pull for me was having a child. And for a woman, that's an incredibly powerful pull. And for me, that was my goal. My goal actually wasn't the financial end of things. It was, I want to have a child. I cannot do that if I stay shooting horses. So I have to make this work. There was no other option for me. Right. Yeah. And what was, and when, when you were writing, when you were going to boot camps and stuff like that, were you showing people your writing, the unfinished books, the first chapters? Were, were you handing that out to people? Was anyone oh, else reading that? Oh, so the that? boot camps that I, I actually was running the boot camps. And so I was teaching those lessons. But in terms of um, my own training, what I did was I started attending um, conferences, writers' conferences, where I could learn from the masters, as it were, you know, different authors who are already published and successful and uh, taking various courses. I took a couple of um, university grade editing classes that ran over six to eight weeks, depending on the specific one. And so I learned the back end of things to understanding why people edit the way they edit actually helped me become a stronger writer because I could avoid the mistakes that a lot of writers make that the editors then have to fix. Um, So I just basically looked for anything that I could do to improve my craft and improve my understanding of the industry and improve my ability to potentially market down the line. Because even though at the beginning, of course, I didn't have anything to market yet, I knew that there would come a point where I would have to do that. And I think as well, one of the things that um, it's worth mentioning as well is that when I first met Shannon, I think you just, it was the beginning of the year and you had just finished a year of writing and unlike a lot of authors I know, including myself, who was you like 15 years ago, <laughs> written a lot of books, never finished one. Um, I, what, I, what I was amazed at is you'd written and published, is that right, 12, around 12 novels and a couple of novellas in, in a 12-month period. Yeah, I think it was, I, I don't want to overestimate it. I think it was 10. I think it was 10, <laughs> Only 10. 10 books. <laughs> Um, 10 books and a, a couple Slacker. of novels, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. You see, this is the other thing that I find really fascinating is that when we, you know, it, it, the changes in the industry right now mm-hmm. uh, are obviously affecting everyone. And you, you really struck on um, a way of, of writing and writing prolifically. In fact, Shannon and I, Mark, we did a, a writing um, retreat together recently with a group of us. And when I first saw Shannon's Mac laptop, I thought it was like some specially designed author laptop because it didn't have any letters on the keys. (laughs) (laughs) And then I suddenly realized when I saw Shannon (laughs) typing, it was like ninja at work. It's like steam coming off her fingers. So what would you say, Shannon, are some of the keys to your success? I mean, you've you've actually come in close to selling as an indie author 1.5 million books, which is absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. And really, there are probably some things that you could attribute to that part of that success. What would you say they would be? Um, so one of the first things I learned was that you write what you love. So I write in the urban fantasy genre, which you know, for people who aren't familiar with it, I would say it's kind of like Harry Potter for grown-ups. Um, and it's not a huge market. So you have to look at it as a niche market. So I wrote in it, even though I knew that I would never have 100 million or 200 million readers um, to pull from. Um, but in doing that, in writing what I love, that I feel like that comes through what I'm putting on paper. And so the readers that I do have are incredibly loyal and they come back time and time and time again. You know, if I write a series that has 20 books in it, they follow through the entire series. Um, So that would be the first thing I would say is to write what you love. Don't try and write to market. You know, when 50 Shades of Grey came out, I mean, it was this phenomenal worldwide hit for a variety of reasons. And very quickly, the books followed that were exactly the same. And, um, and for a while they did okay. But a lot of those authors now have no following because they wrote to a market that had a limited 
run to it. Um, and that can be really hard for an author to have that kind of high peak of selling, you know, 100,000 copies a month. And then a year later, they're not even selling 5,000 copies a month um, because they they don't know what to write. They wrote to market. What else do I write? So write what you love um, and your readers will show up. They may not show up in droves, but they will show up and they will be loyal to you. Um, because they will love what you're writing. Um, the other thing is to, I would say, develop a work ethic that is that this is not just a hobby. Um, unfortunately, because as my experience has been, a lot of people will say, oh, you know, writing's a hobby. It's something you do when you have time um, or when you're bored. I've heard that before. <laughs> I just write when I'm bored. <laughs> really, that's fantastic. Inspiring. <laughs> right? Um, I, when I was still shooing horses, um, I would take my laptop with me and it was an old beat up laptop. It wasn't my nice little Mac that had the worn out, my ninja laptop. It was an old clunky. I mean, I think it was probably 25 pounds. It was just huge. Uh, But I would take it with me. And then when I had a break between clients and, you know, if I finished up early or whatever, I'd had half hour, I'd pull over to the side of the road. I'd pull out my laptop and I'd work for 20 minutes and then I'd drive to my next stop. And on my lunch breaks, I'd just, I'd, wolf down my lunch and I would take my additional 40 minutes and I would write and I would get up in the morning at five o'clock in the morning knowing I had to leave by seven and I would write. I I took every opportunity I had to create a writing habit to the point where now if I don't write on a daily basis, I stress. I stress that I haven't got my word count in or I haven't worked enough to deserve success anywhere. It's a very strange thing how that swings from being something that you're driven to do that all of a sudden now it's driving you. Um, But that work ethic is something that unfortunately is a hard thing to develop and is a hard thing to explain um, to a lot of authors, because because it's such a creative job, there is this feeling that I can't write unless my creative juices are flowing. I can't write unless my muse is speaking to me. And the reality is, I'm going to say a bad word here, your muse is your bitch, not the other way around. And you have to train it to show up to the party. And the only way to do that is to sit down in front of the computer or your laptop or your notebook or whatever you use and regularly encourage it to come forward and you still will like I still do have moments of um I don't like to call it writer's block it's more like burnout at this point it doesn't block anymore I just run out of juice and then I have to take a week or so off or a few days and but that work ethic that drive and that pushing your creativity forward is the only way to make it happen if you wait for your creativity to show up you're going to be waiting a long time so do you sometimes find that when you start a writing session, if you're not feeling inspired, mm-hmm. it's almost like the choke on the car, it's like warming up the engine. And yeah. then when does, when does it start to kick in? I mean, sometimes it probably, maybe it doesn't, but does um, it typically kick in after a few minutes or sometimes can you be there for an hour? Just uh, Mine kicks in usually pretty quick if I allow myself to focus. It's very easy. And other authors will say it's very easy to get um, sidetracked by, you know, Facebook and these sorts of things, especially once you're published because you're doing all the marketing and you're, you know, you're saying to yourself, well, this is part of the business. I have to do this too, which is accurate, but it's turning that stuff off. Basically, once I have the manuscript that I'm working on up in front of me, um, I usually use some sort of like classical or orchestra music in the backdrop because if I have something with words at quite often is too distracting and I can settle in within 10 or 15 minutes and and get after it um obviously some days are easier than others but I still sit down so even if one day I can only get three or four thousand words and the next day I can get seven or eight thousand words you know at least there's word count on there um Whoa, 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 whoa. Back up there. How many words a day? Um, well, I, I consider like a low average for me, like three to 4,000 words a day. And I think and I've seen, I've seen <laughs> Shannon bash out 10,000 words in four hours. Yeah, I, I can, I can type, I can type close to 2,000 words an hour right now. If I'm in like good flow, it doesn't happen all the time. It sounds much better than it is because it's, it's not every day. But it's still pretty phenomenal. I mean, one of the things that I've been doing for the last year is actually learning how to touch type because I, I never was taught it. We didn't have the typewriters at school. <laughs> and seeing how you write, Shannon, you know, obviously you're just, your hands are kind of 
disconnected almost you know, whereas i'm i've always looked at the keyboard and i actually think it's a huge huge thing for authors um even at, i mean there's someone in our writing group who's a, a quite a bit older and he's learning how to touch type at his mm-hmm. age because he sees the value in it how big do you think that is as a skill that authors should have and how much has that helped you in your writing well, i mean it definitely helps with the output because mm-hmm. um you know if you can knock out even if you can knock out a thousand words an hour in four or five hours you can get four or five thousand words right um which is a huge word count for any author um but i would say the biggest thing is is to keep at it you know when i started i was lucky to get you know three four hundred words an hour i was a very slow typist and that was you know a number of years ago and so over time i've gotten better at it and just kind of taught myself but i think that it's like the writing it's like sitting down and teaching your muse to pay attention to you the typing is the same way you just keep at it it will get better you know I always tell people when they talk to me about writing and I say you can start now and work towards a goal and in a year you'll be you know halfway there but if you don't do anything now and a year from now that time still passes that time still passes regardless of what you do with it. So you can either move forward or you can sit where you are on like a bump on a log. Um, and so the same goes for your typing, right? You know, typing and your writing, you know, I just, as long as you're continually moving forward, you're in the right direction. Mm. So Mark, hearing all this is Shannon, Yeah. Sorry, Shannon. I was just going to ask, um, do you outline much before you jump into a novel or do you just go straight in page one and just start typing? Uh, and when you do, you know, how much revision are you doing and going back and editing? What's, what's um, your method? Well, I used, to, I used to be a pantser. I would tell people that I had timelines that I used because I, I didn't like the idea of being a plotter. I don't know what my hang-up was about it, but I, I learned very quickly if I was going to write at the capacity that I wanted to and produce as much as I wanted to, that I was going to have to learn to plot. And um, I took a hold of The Hero's Journey in that book, um, yeah, the writer's uh, journey by Christopher Vogler. Vogler. Yes, Vogler. Yeah, that's Vogler. yeah. The hero, I think it's called, I think he still calls it the hero's journey. I'm not sure. Yeah. Anyways, for Christopher Vogel, that became kind of my Bible. I use that to understand. And then, of course, taking the editing classes. But so I sit down and I write um, my plots out um, as detailed as I can. And what I do actually is I then send them to my editor. She has a look at them and pulls out any spots that she sees in terms of like holes or questions she would have and want answered. And then I make adjustments and then I dive into the writing. Um, that being said, I still in the middle of books will find myself veering off as a character, you know, misbehaves or whatnot. I love that approach actually, Mark, that Shannon actually sends the plot to her editor. We always think of editors and we've interviewed a few, haven't we? Mm-hmm. We think of them as towards, you know, once the book's <laughs> written and ripping it to bits and re, you know, showing all the massive holes. But that's a great strategy because if something's blindingly obvious to someone else at that stage, right. I mean, how many, uh, roughly, if you, if, you know, if you're doing, say, 12, 10 books in a year, yeah. how often do you hit the mark with the plot first time when the editor's saying, no, this looks great? Or is it more often than not that they're quite collaborative in in the um, early stages? At this point, at this point in my career, it's been pretty steady for them to come back with two or three points, usually just questions, hmm. wanting me to clarify that I understand I understand as the author where I'm going with this, um, and they're kind of trusting me to do that. Um, there's been a couple, maybe maybe like one a year now, where the editor will come back and say, "This maybe isn't up to snuff. Maybe you should revisit this and mm-hmm. before you start writing." Um, the nice thing about doing it that way is it cuts down the time afterwards in terms of the editing and revisions, and uh, cuts down their work because hopefully I've covered some of the issues that they would otherwise be picking up in their first and second passes in terms of the developmental side of things. Um, so, yeah. And at that stage, if, if it was at the other end, then there's a lot more, in theory, there's a lot more work to do, isn't there, in terms of rewrites yeah. and trying to fix plot issues. Absolutely. For them to read. Well, particularly if it's structural as well. You know, if someone says to you this whole chunk in the middle of the second act or whatever is completely wrong, Absolutely. then... That's a lot of heavy lifting to do, isn't it? And it is, I mean, you're giving them a plot in the beginning, say, uh, that's maybe three or four pages long. It takes them, you know, 20 minutes to read through and take notes. Or you're giving them a book that's 75,000 words long, and it takes them a few days to read through and take notes. So you're saving yourself time and money by giving them that hour 
of um, precursor looking through that plot ahead of time. I, and it's probably been one of the best things I could have done for me. And, and I know it wouldn't work for every author, but um, anytime I've been insecure about my writing, I've, I've really leaned on my editors to help me find the holes in it. I mean, that's their job. And I expect them to tell me when I'm writing crap. And, um, and they, they do. I've had to really encourage them to do that. They're nervous to do it, being freelance editors. Of course, their job is dependent on me coming back to them. And I pointed out that if they don't tell me when I'm writing garbage, that I won't come back to them. They're not helping me, you know. As That's very interesting to hear because, uh, you know, having had feedback myself, you go through the s several stages of feedback. The first is kind of anger. Then there's denial, <laughs> and then eventually there's some kind of calm acceptance. I know a lot a lot of writers who would accept the the easy edit notes, and of course that will end up in a a book that's just sure. not as strong. So for you to say actually hit me hard, tell me you know tell me the the bad yeah. news first, that's uh, that's incredible. I, there's not a lot of authors who certainly who are starting out can do that. Well, I mean. It's definitely there's ego involved when it comes to your own writing and and you never want you always want to hear the editor say this is the most amazing book I've ever written it's going to hit every prize out there oh, yeah. but the reality is um, they do you no favors by being kind they do you no favors they don't help you be a better writer they don't help you write a better book they don't help you get a better chance at a publishing deal if they are kind you need them to be kind of brutal and the only way they're going to be that is if you kind of assure them that yes you know, you're going to come back to them eventually after you stop crying in the corner um, and you will pay the bill and all these things. So, yeah, I, I've just found that the uh, I've had a few editors that just couldn't tell me the truth. And that's OK, but um, gone to my current editor, Tina, is fantastic. Um, she's told me to rewrite books before. Wow. She said this this just yeah. isn't good right from the get go. You need to rewrite it. And. Usually when she says that, I already know. It's just that confirmation that, yeah, she's she's right. Yeah, yeah. You sometimes just need another voice. Where did, Shannon, can I ask, where did you find your first editor? Where If, if, right. if someone's coming with us on this journey and they're thinking of, A, getting an editor, it's obviously not cheap. Right. You know, you, you can be spending, you know, hundreds of dollars or pounds to get an editor. Where did you find well, my, yours? My very first editor, I actually I actually met in that editing course that I mentioned at the beginning. I took a course for close to, right. I think it was six or seven weeks. And um, one of the gals in there uh, was, an, you know, wanting to be an editor. And I could tell that her style and what she was interested in would mesh really well with um, what I was doing. So I discussed with her and she worked with me for a few years. <clears throat> and then... Uh, um, I had another editor that, you know, I kind of just met through here and there. In the beginning, you you don't really know where to look, especially in my case. I didn't have a lot of author friends who were published, so I didn't have the network to go to that I have now. Like now, if I was looking for an editor, I have a great network of other well-published, successful authors that I could say, who do you use? Who would you recommend? Um, and so that is how I do it now. But if someone was looking... Um, for an editor, a great place. There's a site called Predators and Editors. Um, and it actually has, it's kind of a um, good and bad of the industry. So if you're, you know, if an agent approaches you, you can look them up there and see if they've been recommended or been warned away from. Um, so that's a great site to start. And the other thing is just to start creating that network of other authors online and, and, and in conferences. Um, Attending conferences is a great place to meet both editors, agents, and other authors. And and those that's going to be your support network. I mean, your neighbor who's an English teacher um, and retired, it's great for them to have a read, but they're not an editor. An editor is looking for really specific things that an English teacher has not been trained to do. They've been, you know... Is better than nothing, don't get me wrong, and I think it's fantastic when you can use someone close by, but don't think of them as the be-all, end-all. Yeah, I think it goes family, from, from reverse order, right? Yeah. Feedback on a book. Family, friends, <laughs> neighbors. neighbors. Your old English teacher. <laughs> Your old English teacher, and then... Then an editor, or maybe before an editor, mm. people in your writing group. <laughs> Depends how brave you are, yeah. Exactly. But then, so, what I'm picking up here, Shannon, is... is one of the crucial aspects to your success, um, and really if we're looking at it from a best speller, speller, best speller, 
No, I'm best not the best speller. Seller. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be a best speller to be a good writer, I guess. But um, a best seller. I see, I'm going to say that now, Mark, throughout the whole next of the year. <laughs> it's the best speller project. Good ones. Who can yeah. get the yeah. least number of bad words? Um, so from a bestseller perspective, it really sounds like it's not even an option to not think about getting an editor. Oh, it's no. top of the list, right? Absolutely. Okay. So Mark, we need to find an editor. Mm. And like an editor yeah, up front, none yeah. of this back-end editor stuff, they come in at the end, but to have somebody that can rip apart a plot up front, I mm. think would be massive. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. What do you think, Shannon? <laughs> <laughs> he was looking Sorry. at me, Mark. I, was like, <laughs> yeah. I, I was don't know. I was making with Shannon. So. Um, yeah, I think any time you can do that, that's great. I mean, the biggest hang up for most authors and writers is going to be that they have to put money out far in advance of ever seeing money come back in. And that's a hard thing for people to swallow. They don't want to put money out, you know, and realistically we're all on, you know, budgets. And so we have to decide, are we going to eat this month? Or are we going to pay our editor? And most people choose to eat. And that's not a, a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's definitely, you know, I've seen it in particular in the indie industry, in the independent author industry, you see authors who are, have talent. They're good writers. They have great storylines. They have terrible editing and terrible cover art. And so they, they never break out because they don't have the help they need. And they think that they're going to make money without some sort of industry help in helping them polish their gem. Right. And, um, and the thing I would say to that is that you can't, you can't skimp on your editors and your cover art. It's a very bad idea because you don't get a chance at a first impression more than once. And um, the agents and editors of big publishing houses, they are watching bestseller lists. They are watching, um, you know, new books as they release. They're looking for their next, their next author. Um, you know, so, you know, think about that when, when you're looking for editors and, and cover art and that sort of thing is that you are going to make an impression one way or the other and it can be good or it can be bad. Excellent. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's one of the most common mistakes authors make is sending stuff out before yeah. it's ready. You know, especially you've been slogging over the thing for months and months and months. You know, you think, well, that's it. How, you know, it must be ready. I've, right. I've you know, bled and there's always a fresh pair of eyes that can, can help. We we were talking about this um, a couple of weeks ago, Mark. Which is a big question: is how do we know when it's ready to go out? And I guess you need an editor. I guess you need someone objective to stand back and say, "Yeah, this is ready for market." Yeah, I think so. I think in in some ways, um, I found in the music industry particularly, we're so close to the work, we never get to experience it as a reader or a listener experiences music and books for the first time. And so in some ways, we, we're the least objective. best person, yeah, yeah, least objective. So I think that's fantastic. Now, we're, we're coming towards the end of this interview, but oh, we're just getting started, Mark, aren't we? Shannon, yeah. would you be yeah, willing yeah, to totally come back another week? Because uh, we're sure. going to get into some of the really big stuff about being an indie bestseller, which I think is very, very Sure, important. absolutely. That's Thank you fun. so much. But before we go, we're just going to ask Shannon, um, what, are you, what are you writing at the moment? What have you just released? Um, okay, so I just released um, book six in my Elemental series. And um, I actually just found out last week that it hit the USA Today bestseller list. So wow. that's great. That was my 10th book to hit that list. So that's great. My, um, my uh, next book that I'm working on is actually, it's actually a rewrite, which sounds funny, but I've taken my original series that I first started publishing with five years ago and um, what was that called it, the first book is called sundered the second book bound the third book dauntless and they were novellas that i wrote um they're post-apocalyptic and i decided that the story could not only do with a refresher but a new point of view um it's still a series that's really popular with a lot of my readers and so i've gone back in and i've more than doubled the length so this is kind of an experiment on my part to see if a re-release and additional um <clears throat> word count will be something that my readers want. Um, and I thought it was time. It was, it's a five year anniversary of my writing, um, or my publishing 
um, journey and also that particular series. So I thought it'd be a, a fun thing to do. And then after that is the first book in my Venom trilogy, which is the one I've signed with Amazon's imprint 47 North, and it will be out November 1st. Fantastic. So lots more to cover. Always. (laughs) (laughs) Well, brilliant, Shannon. Thank you so much. Now, if people want to kind of enter your world and never to never to <laughs> leave from what i've heard this is this is the fan base shannon has where can people find you websites you're very active on social media as yeah, well aren't you? um my website is www.shannonmayer.com and you can find links to my books there you can find links to my fan page on facebook um i try to stay in contact with everybody who emails me or sends me a message on facebook whatever so if you have heard the podcast and want to reach out and tell me you've heard this that'd be great i'll do my best to respond to everybody promptly and um yeah i'd love to hear from you that's great and we'll put all of those links shannon can i can i ask just one last question which is if uh, a writer is trapped in an elevator with you and they've only got time to ask you for one tip what would your one single tip be for that one single tip um i think that it would have to be to create that habit the best thing you can do as a writer is create the habit to write every day. You cannot improve your work. You cannot have a shot at improving your work if you're not working at it. So keep at it every day, even if you give yourself only half an hour, 20 minutes, 15 minutes, write, write every day. Brilliant. Excellent. Thank Thank you you so much. So if you want to get links to Shannon's social media pages, her website, we're going to put them all at the bottom of the show notes um, episode three on the website, you go to bestsellerexperiment.com and we look forward to carrying on this conversation, Shannon. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow. Wow. Uh, your muse is your bitch. I'm getting that put on a t-shirt straight away and a bumper <laughs> sticker and uh, a little baseball cap as well. I love that. That's, uh, that's brilliant. Could be like one of those, th- one of those t-shirts like Frankie says, but instead it'd be Shannon exactly. says. Exactly. Your muse is your bitch. Shannon <laughs> says your muse is your bitch. <laughs> that's great. That's a brilliant turn of phrase. You can tell she's a writer. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I think she made some really, really important. Po- I mean, that, Talk about work ethic. I mean, that word count. I mean, that's that's incredible. That's just. I mean, I I, I work hard. I write a lot in a day. I mean, I do as much as I can in a day, and I've got a day job as well. But it, even if I didn't have a day job, I don't think there's any way I'd get close to that. Frankly, yeah, and, and it makes me wonder how how normal that is. I mean, normal in in the sense of a, a, someone who writes every day. Um, I, don't, I, I don't think it is. I mean, I, I you know, I, I know a lot of authors and it varies wildly. You'll have authors who are happy with 500 words a day, but they're good words. You know, they will sweat over those words again and again and again. But that's maybe someone who's only delivering one book a year. You'll have someone who maybe does two or three books a year who will do a couple of thousand a day and then some. You know, so it's mm. uh, and it depends on the genre. It depends. Uh, actually, I should have asked her the, the word, the total word count of one of her books, because you know, if you're uh, most publishers would consider an, a novel to be about eighty thousand words plus. Uh, Fifty to sixty thousand is a children's book or a novella, I guess. I think. So, I think uh, actually, they're about sixty to eighty. Um, yeah well that's that's exactly for that kind of kindle publishing where you've got a serious character and it's uh that's that feels about right i think uh but what she's done is what she's achieved in that space of time is astonishing it's inspirational it's got me here sitting thinking what the hell am i doing twiddling my thumbs i need to pull my finger out you know it's, well, yeah, it's amazing it, it kind of you know we when we took on this project the idea of doing this book within 52 weeks was a we felt was a huge undertaking but when i when i hear how shannon works and how she, her work ethic and how she writes I almost feel like a wimp now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 52 weeks, you know. Um, yeah. The fact is, is that maybe, and I, I don't know if this is a perception that many people have, is that maybe when, when authors come into the, the book writing project, we see it as such a huge achievement to finish a book that we put the actual process of writing the book on this massive pedestal and we make it maybe in our minds – uh, maybe this is wrong, but maybe in our minds we we put it too much as a a huge a huge uh, mountain to climb. Whereas you know it's really like Shannon really kind of seems to to get through 
you know, books, you know, where she, she gets through her breakfast. So I wonder how much of that psychology is there as well. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. I think there is this thing that, you know, people say, I'm going to retire and I'm going to write the great American novel as if it's like waiting for you at the end of your life, you know, like the, the monolith in 2001. Whereas, you know, with Shannon, it's a job, it's a profession, and it's something she does. And she, you know, she keeps up with the demand for her books. Uh, and it's an incredible achievement. And it's, but it shouldn't be unusual. You know, I, I guess if, uh, if the muse is your bitch, as she says, <laughs> then you should be able to, to write, you know, fairly prolifically. It's, um, and as she says, the more you do this, the better you get at it. So if you become, if you think the novel is this big monolithic thing, you can become paralyzed by fear and uh, you don't write anything or you get, you know, you get stuck in, in the mire and, and, and end up, you know, sweating over the same sentence again and again, whereas she gets on with it. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot to admire there. A lot to admire. She said one very, very interesting thing, which is going to be pertinent to us, which is write what you love and she mm. clearly loves her genre and the joy that brings to her and it makes it easy it will make it a lot easier if you're writing something you're genuinely passionate about then it makes it now the problem with us is we've got to find something that we're both going to be able to you know pick up the pen, pen and paper and laptop every day or whatever and write with a big stupid grin on our faces yeah, so absolutely. that's what we need to ag agree on so that's uh that's the first uh bump in the road i guess but so if if you're thinking of of writing a bestseller one idea that, that maybe you want to come and uh, you know maybe throw some ideas on our facebook page at bestseller experiments is when you're starting with an idea you know do, do you start with writing a list of what you love and and trying to pick something from that or you know when when you sit down to write does it come out as this is just a new idea that I've got and you run with it? Because I think uh, either way could work. But if you actually have kind of like a, a list of the things you most love, I'm not talking about actual ideas for books, but just themes, um, even just subgenres within genres, or even certain books that you've loved. Maybe there's a kind of a, a pool that you can dip into when you're thinking about starting to write. I don't know. What do you think about that, Mark? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we've heard this from Juliet and Sam in the previous episode, which is, you know, if you, you can't really fake it, it's, uh, if you try and chase the zeitgeist or try and ape someone else's writing, people will see through it. Whereas if you're passionate about it, and now the thing is, you can, if you're writing about something that's just not in the vogue or isn't fashionable, then, uh, you will probably sell fewer copies. But, you know, and if you strike it, I mean, Shannon's writing in a kind of a paranormal romance genre which is huge, absolutely huge. I mean, since uh, Twilight and uh, the uh, the True Blood books, uh, the, the Charlene Harris books, you know, that's a massive, massive genre that uh, has maybe peaked and has maybe settled down to a level, but it's still absolutely massive. Mm. Uh, and she's lucked out in that it's a genre a lot of people want to read. Now, if you're into something that's less fashionable, then, you know, maybe not. But, you know... If you're writing as an independent author, if you're putting your stuff online and it's going worldwide, then the chances are you will find a readership who who loves your work. Uh, so you know, it's um, I think there's a lot in that in in write what you love. Mm, absolutely, and, and it was interesting because Shannon actually really you know talked about the, the the passion of the readers, and that goes back to uh, our very first or was episode two, wasn't it, when our discussion with Sam and uh she and talked Juliet. and Juliet yeah because she she mentioned that I remember they talked about the 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 find your passionate readers father oh no actually I'm just going to rewind there because it was episode one wasn't it with uh with Vicks. Vicks she talked about the you've got to find your passionate readers and what I do yes. think is that Shannon has found her passionate readers and and it does sound like you know when they they read one of her books in a series they're then going to read every single book but because yeah, they're you, passionate they you just have to look at her reviews on Amazon and it's oh, very clear these, these people love the books, yeah, love the books. Absolutely. So, and, uh, yeah, no, good stuff. So what else, what and, else jumped out for you, Mark, as well? Because this is, you know, coming from a publishing, you know, a traditional publishing background, it must be quite fascinating for you to, to. Well, she's just, she's just so, so thorough. The fact that she's, she did the groundwork. She didn't rush into it. She's done all sorts of courses. She's learned her trade. Um, she's observed others. Uh, she's hired editors, which 
I think she's right. I think there's an awful lot of independent authors who, you know, dash off a few drafts, maybe not even that, then pop it up online and just, you know, sit back and hope for the millions to come rolling in. Hmm. But, uh, you know, she, she hired an editor and she's not afraid uh, to get notes. You know, one phrase that jumped out was she said, they, they do you no know, favors by being kind. You know, mm. so if you give your book to your mum and she says, oh, that's lovely. <laughs> that's, that's helping. That's what my mum would say. <laughs> She's, they, they, no, you know, it's not going to help. But if you give it to someone who, who is an editor, who has some experience, who can say, this isn't working. You might want to think about this, who tests it and challenges it because it can only make it stronger. You know, yeah, I, I like I, I, I've gone, I've gone through this. When we were developing the script for Robot Overlords, we had people at the BFI who would sit down and just test and prod and prod and prod. And, you know, initially it's like, oh, God, why? But eventually you develop a thick skin and it becomes better and better and better. And you're so much happier for it at the end. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's quite interesting when we think about the 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 isolation of an, an author's life you know that that kind of classic stereotype of sitting there with uh with with the word processor or the blank sheet of paper and looking out the window waiting for inspiration to hit um it what it really struck me is actually writing is about collaboration even if you're writing a book on your own um for yeah. us it's quite interesting because we're going to be collaborating on this novel together so we're going to be um, being each other's editors to some extent, but for single authors to think of them going on this journey by themselves is actually, I think, a wrong way to approach it. And, and the editor is that collaborator, and it's somebody who, you know, you need to find someone who you know is going to be honest because it's like I always say to my son, always, um, you know, loves to play tennis, and whenever he plays a, a guy who's like, you know, way way above him in the in the in the kind of skill level it's always a bit of a beating and, and i say you know you're, you're bet much better playing against someone of that level because that's how you're going to improve you keep playing people you're going to beat or, and so you want an editor who's who's almost more experienced maybe they were have been an author they're more experienced there and they they're gonna they're gonna take you on court and give you a bit of a beating yeah. <laughs> actually it's interesting most editors i know uh, you know, when I get to know them well enough, I'll say, so do you want to write a novel yet? And they go, no, 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 no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or no. They, they realise how, I think they, they realise how difficult it can be. They, I think they've seen, seen, seen it go wrong enough times yeah. to sort of back away from it. And I think they know where the skill set is, but that's it. I mean, they, that's what they do and that's what they do best. And I think, you know, if you ever look at the back of a published book, in the acknowledgements, there'll be a, usually a very long list of names, and all these people have made some kind of contribution to the book. Mm. I've always argued because you see this in comic books. You buy a comic book, it'll have the credits of everyone who had anything to do with the book, like a movie, movies credits. You know, yeah. in a comic book, it'll, it'll tell you about the the writer and the artist and the inker and the colorist, but also you know the editorial department, the sales department, the marketing department, and these days in in modern publishing. You know, they all do chip in in sales and marketing. If we think a cover isn't right or a customer, you know, if, if uh, Amazon or Waterstones or WH Smiths or whoever comes back and says, we don't think that cover is going to work. We have to take that seriously. Mm. You know, we, we, it's not the tail wagging the dog, but, you know, you have to, if you start hearing that more than once, then, then maybe you've got an issue or if the title doesn't work or, you know, so it is a collaboration and we're, we're always very, aware that this is the author's passion project and it's something I've worked very hard on uh, and we want it to work as, as well as it can. We want to sell as many books as possible. But uh, if it means changing the title, then, you know, or, or even sometimes the author's name, mm. which I find, you know, quite a chilling prospect because I've got such an ego. I want my name on everything <laughs> I've ever worked on. But, you know, sometimes they've had to, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, J.K. Rowling. Yeah, absolutely. Changed because people didn't think, they they didn't think boys would buy a book by a woman. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, she's clearly proved them wrong, but that's why she's J.K. Rowling. And it's a, it's a very, un, very, very unknown fact that J.R.R. Tolkien was actually a grandmother in her 90s. You know that? Yes, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true, though, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's definitely something that we've got to... We've got to C.S. Lewis was a taxidermist from Reading. <laughs> <laughs> 
and Stephanie King. Well, anyway, um, so, but let's let's get on to our question of the week this week, which is from Rachel. And Rachel, you didn't tell us whereabouts you're from, but do remember if you're going to leave us a message, it's always nice to know where you're listening in from. It's always amazes us to think about all the people around the world that are listening to this podcast. And we thank you so much for you know spending time with us today on this episode. But Rachel has asked a very interesting question, which I, I really resonated with me because I want to ask this question to you as well, Mark. Rachel has said, is there a best place to write? Um, yeah, anywhere. That's where. Absolutely anywhere. I think there's, you know, if you can find somewhere quiet with a desk and that's, you know, whatever works for you. I, I'm kind of anti this fetishizing, fetishizing, fetishizing <laughs> of writing. Sorry, I've had a little drink. You know, the, you get this thing where... Uh, and writers propagate this stuff, you know, they, they, the stories of George Lucas, you know, he could only write on a yellow pad with a certain kind of pencil. And, mm. you know, when he came to write the prequels, he had to have the same pad and pencil, you know, and he was, it's, it becomes this kind of ritual. And I don't think that's healthy. Uh, I think it's, um, it becomes part of this monolithic process that we were talking about earlier, that it's, it has to be done this way and this way and this way. Otherwise, you're not a writer. You know, having a MacBook Pro doesn't make you a writer. Uh, having a, a quill doesn't make you a writer. But putting pen to paper or typing some words, that's writing. You know, uh, I, like I say, I have a day job, so I write in my commute. So that's 35 minutes into London, an hour for my lunch break, 35 minutes home. So I can get just over two hours a day done. And that's on a hot, stinky, noisy train. And I I have uh, iPod playlists that are as Shannon was saying, it's melodic music, it's no lyrics, it's just, and it's all kind of in the key of the book. So, you know, if I'm writing a, a, a horror script, then it's, it tends to be quite spooky, eerie music. If oh, it's something, if it's something, uh, like I've been working on a, a kid's book idea, then it's usually a Pixar soundtrack. Um, there's a whole, so, there's a whole topic in that that we could do like, best, oh, yeah, yeah. Best music to listen yeah. to when writing in blah genre. So if you do that, yeah you know share with that on the facebook page as well if you've got particular yeah. i'll give you one actually i'll throw out there if you're writing epic novels if you're writing like an epic fantasy get onto youtube and check out an incredible duo called two steps from hell it doesn't oh uh, yeah yeah no you know i've got them? all of their stuff yeah 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 and every, every fantasy author i know listens to two steps from hell <laughs> everyone's got it well they it's you know the fantastic story, story behind them is they're actually two guys that that write trailer music they've never actually yeah. done a film yeah, film yeah, score, yeah, but yeah, yeah. In, unbelievable yeah. so if you want to get your novels 10 times bigger than they are right now Go go and check out Two Steps from Hell. There you go. The, the other music. one, because I have I have spent the last year and a half writing an epic fantasy novel, and the as well as those guys, I listened to Jeremy Saul's uh, score for Skyrim. Now I've never played Skyrim, so I've no associate. Well, very often if you have a film soundtrack, that's you a associate computer game. With Is the that film. a computer game? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Big, big, massive multiplayer game. Wow. Um, his score is incredible. It's epic. It's so well produced. Uh, it's just, for me now, it's the soundtrack to my book. So if I ever hear it anywhere else, it's kind of, why are they playing the soundtrack to my book? <laughs> so it's it's so associated with, with what I've written. Um, so yeah, that's uh, Skyrim, Jeremy Saul. So I'm pretty sure you can, I, I mean, I... It's one of these things, it was really expensive on iTunes back in the day. I think it was like £20 on iTunes. But, you know, I've listen to each track well over a thousand times i've really got my money's worth out of it but it's just fantastic fantastic so mark pop that on the facebook page and if, yes, if, if you listen to if you have your own soundtrack that you love um for your particular genre do do kind of respond to mark's post on the facebook page at bestseller experiment i think that'll be really an interesting feed maybe some inspiration for everyone out there who's who's joining us on this mad mad journey so let's get on to the one minute motivation before we wrap up. And this um, week, um, you I'm just comfortably. Getting the, I'm getting the lotus position. <laughs> Thank I'm you. Already, I'm ready. I'm limbering <laughs> up. Go for it. Go well, for I've it. been inspired this week with Shannon. I think, you know, that's part of the whole reason for us doing this is to, to inspire you um, to actually write and look at different ways of doing it. But one thing that I've really picked up on today 
is this idea that it's not just a journey on your own. I think one of the most hardest things to do is to try to achieve something by yourself. And when you look at, for example, an album cover, as Mark mentioned earlier, you know, it might be Adele who's on the front cover and is the name on the album, but there is a cast of thousands. So one exercise I want to challenge everyone to do this week, I want to challenge you to create what I call your dream team diagram. This is something I coach in all the time. And it's this idea that, you start to look at who's actually part of your support network to help you on this journey. And there's the inner circle and the outer circle. The inner circle are the people that you already know or the people who you know of that might be able to help you. And the outer circle are all those people that you'd need, need, for example, an editor. You might not have that. You might not have a publisher yet. But put them on the outside. And the idea of the game is to bring everyone on the outer circle into the inner circle and fill those vacant positions with a name. So this week, create your dream team. And remember that when you see that diagram, something very powerful happens. It's a visualization of all the support you have, which will help you on your journey. You're not doing this alone. It is about collaboration. You are the name on the book, but ultimately there's a group of people behind you who are going to help you every step of the way. That, that was longer than a minute, Mark. Oh, I'll have to edit it down. <laughs> Sorry. You, you, no, you only get 15 seconds on the last oh. episode. <laughs> But we're talking about a dream team. I mean, that is something that we need to, I think that's an important exercise that we do as well, Mark. We have. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, it's clear at some point we're going to have to get an editor. Uh, we're, you know, there's, there is going to be a whole, I mean, Shannon talks about her, uh, uh, her personal assistant, uh, mm. you know, the, the, and, and just having people around you who understand what you're doing and, and that you do have to write and you do have to write with the door shut. And, you know, because it's that thing of one distraction can cost you minutes of time. So, you know, going back to, uh, that, that, the question from Rachel, where's the best place to write? I mean, yes, you can write in public transport or in a park or, you know, uh, in the back of a car or on a train or whatever it is. Um, but you need to make it very clear. You are uninterruptible. Sometimes at work, uh, if I have to write at my desk, we're in a big open plan office at work. I sit there with my headphones on, I'm tapping away, but I put a little post-it note on my headphones saying, writing, please do not disturb. <laughs> and I see people in my peripheral vision walk up towards me. They stop, they read the note and they walk away. <laughs> <laughs> it works, That's it brilliant. does work. They That's fantastic. It. Excellent. So if you have your own question, you can pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash question mark and ask us your question. And each week we'll pick the, the best one of the bunch and we look forward to getting those. So Mark, last week I was trying to convince you to look at Scrivener. Did you get a chance to look at it? I did. I did. I, uh, I had a little fiddle, as they say. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Don't reveal things like that on air. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very interesting, actually. I can see why people like it because it's uh, just the fact that you can have everything in one place. The fact that, you, you know, if you've got uh, character studies or just the, the thing I found really interesting were the the ability to put places and photos in there so mm. if you ever need a visual reference because the thing I find if I'm ever writing anything landscapes in particular uh, if I try and do it just off the top of my head it just is the same thing again again if I have a picture reference I can go to it makes all the difference so having stuff like that in one place is actually quite handy. Well, the it's thing, actually very handy. It's really good to hear you say that because, you know, the, the, the thing that kind of converted me over was the fact that I was using loads of different things. Like I was using Word to write. I was using Evernote to capture information. I was had like, uh, you know, folders with pictures of characters and ideas and scenes and imagery. And the thing that I loved about Scrivener, which really kind of made me kind of dive into it, was having it all in one place. Yeah. From, from an organizational point of view, I mean, we know how complex writing a novel is. From an organizational point of view, to have that kind of structure in place and know that you can always find everything, you know, it does actually save you time because you can dive into the different folders where you are storing everything. So would you be up for giving it a go if we start maybe trying to work out, because they have all kinds of character sheets in there, like templates that you can use plotting things. Well, the thing I, I like to well for this project in particular, it has a pro, it has all these different project templates for you know you can screenwriting, maybe one for poetry, but they have one specifically for fiction. It gives you all the front matter and stuff that you need when you're doing a novel. It also has all the stuff you need for exporting it as an ebook. So if like us, you're self publishing in e, actually this could be really really cool. So yeah, let's give it a go. All right, good stuff. Thank you. 
So that's drawing to an end now for this episode, Mark. I think it's been a fascinating one. We will definitely, definitely, and this is a promise, we'll definitely get Shannon back on the show for another episode. There is so much we want to cover with her. And I think, you know, like us, hopefully you've been inspired by that. So don't forget, you can get in contact with us at thebestsellerexperiment.com, where you can sign up to our mailing list, get tips, news, exclusive content, and updates on future shows. And And join us on social media. We're on Facebook at Bestseller Experiment. We're on Twitter at Bestseller XP. And uh, you and I are on Twitter too, aren't we? I'm at Mark Stay and you're at 4000 Saturdays, 4000 Saturdays. And if you're going to join us on this journey, then come to the website, sign up, tell us that you're going to be doing this. Make the commitment. And don't forget as well to download your free copy of the bestseller experiment, Vault of Goals, which is our compilation of all of the best bits of this show, which you can download and you can have beside you as you're writing your best-selling novel and you can get that i I, I know i'm biased but i've been putting this together and it is just fantastic i I sit here listen to the the show transcripting it and it's like uh it's like writer college writer university get it while you can folks it's it's something special that we're giving out there so thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate it until next week it's goodbye from mark one and goodbye from mark two Goodbye. goodbye